morning we're continuing our study of book one of the Psalms, so please find a copy of the Bible and uh, turn to Psalm 13, the 13th Psalm. And as you find Psalm 13, maybe you read it before you came this morning, if so, kudos, gold stars. Psalm 13 is a song that begins by expressing despair in the midst of a really deep, dark, and difficult experience. But now, wait a minute. I thought bad things didn't happen to God's people. And even if they do, good Christians put on a happy face and we act like nothing really bad is happening so that nobody can tell, right? And, and even if bad things do happen, good Christians don't struggle with depression and despair. And if anybody has ever led you to believe that, they're a charlatan because that's baloney. God's people face the same kind of difficulties that everyone else faces, don't we? We live here under the sun in a world that has been cursed by sin. So, do you have issues? (laughs) Of course you do. And I do too. Have you been experiencing difficulty in your life recently? Maybe sickness or finances, difficulties at work, relationship conflicts, grief or addictions. I want you to think this morning about how you respond to those difficulties. Think about it. How do you respond when you experience difficulty? Especially the kind of difficulty that feels like it will never end. We often spiral from the difficulty into depression and despair, don't we? It's easy to spiral, but none of us wants to. As we study Psalm 13 this morning... My prayer is that you will understand how the gospel causes us to sing instead of despair in times of difficulty. Now, wouldn't that glorify God? I mean, it's true, friends. The gospel of covenant love covenant salvation and covenant blessings takes us by the hand and leads us away from despair, enabling us to sing even in the midst of difficulty like sickness or finances or relationship conflicts. So let's read Psalm 13 together. You have it open on your lap, Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. 
How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Friends, that's God's word. Amen? Amen. So Psalm 13 teaches us how King David... And we can move from despair to singing in times of difficulty. Seem impossible? It's not. How did David move from the despair in verse 1 and 2 to the singing? And joy in verse 5 and 6. He did it by three responses of faith. He lamented. He prayed. And he trusted. He lamented. He prayed. And he trusted. And those three responses of faith are the pattern that we see in virtually every one of the Psalms of Lament. And there are 60 of them out of 150. One third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament that teach us how to respond to sin and suffering in us and around us. So let's look at these three responses of faith this morning and learn how the gospel causes us to sing instead of despair in times of difficulty. First of all, in verse 1 and 2, Psalm 13 teaches us to lament. All 60 of the Psalms of Lament teach us to lament. This is a very strange word and a very strange practice. But it begins here in verse 1 and 2 by by understanding what David is experiencing. Look there again in verse 1 and 2. His first words are, are a cry out of deep anguish in a dark day. How long? Did you notice in verse 1 and 2? Four times. Four times he cries, how long? Whatever David is experiencing here, he, he, he wonders how long it's going to go on. Have you ever been in a situation like that? He's wondering if this is ever going to end. One commentator says, long afflictions try our patience and often tire it. 
It's a common temptation that when trouble lasts long, to think it will last always. Despondency turns to despair. And those that have been long without joy begin at last to be without hope. Spiraling. But Psalm 13 teaches us what to do with our difficulty and despair. It teaches us first to lament. Look in verse 1 and 2. There's three laments. And in verse 1 and 2, David describes his experience first with God, then himself, then with his enemies. Do you see that in verse 1 and 2? Look there in your Bibles. He talks about his experience with God first, then himself and his enemy. God seems to be distant. His soul is troubled and his enemies are winning. That's a bad day. (laughs) Have you been in a place like this recently? Are you in a place like this right now? God seems distant. Look there in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Derek Kidner tells us that no doubt the divine forgetting and the hiding of face uh, meant God is withholding his practical help. Since the Old Testament's God remembering and seeing is not just a state of consciousness, but It's a prelude to his action. So in other words, it's not that God just seems distant or feels different, but God isn't doing anything to change David's situation. God seems to be distant and doing nothing. Look there in verse 2. David's soul is troubled. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? What's the greatest burden on your heart right now? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, what are the things that weigh your heart down? How long have they been going on? Do you see any end whatsoever? His soul is troubled, and he hasn't found any answers for it. And then look at the end of verse 2. The enemy is winning. (laughs) Oh, man. Verse 2 at the end, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The enemy's winning. Now, who or what was this enemy? Honestly, we don't know. I think there's two likely possibilities. One, it could be people who were attacking David personally or politically or militarily. Uh, Or it could have been sickness that was destroying David physically. And and we wonder about this being a disease or sickness, especially because of verse 3, where David uh, says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. The point is this. Psalm 13 teaches us that Christians experience difficulty and dark days, but they don't have to lead to depression and despair. Psalm 13 encourages us to lament. 
David here is lamenting. He's crying out in the distress and despair, asking why God seems to be doing nothing, why his enemies are winning. And friends, that might feel wrong to you, like we're never supposed to, quote unquote, question God. We're never supposed to cry out and let our negative emotions be expressed toward God. If that feels wrong to you, then one-third of the book of Psalms is going to feel wrong to you. Remember, Walter Moberly reminds us of this. The experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith something to be outgrown or put behind us, but it is intrinsic intrinsic to the very nature of faith. Asking God our questions, expressing our negative emotions to the Lord is the life of faith. Lamenting is faith, not sin. Maybe we spiral from difficulty to depression to despair because we don't lament toward the Lord. Number two, in the section, second part of, of this psalm, verse 3 and 4, Psalm 13 encourages us to pray. Now, the whole thing you could consider a prayer. But here, rather than just lamenting, expressing the difficulty of his emotions toward the Lord, he's now asking, he's appealing to God. He's he's making supplications to the Lord. So look there in verse 3 and 4. You can see the turn. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David prays. And for William Plummer, he says, this is already fruitful. That which leads us to pray is good for us. Isn't that a great thought? It's better to be praying in the whale's belly, says Plummer, than asleep on the ship. And so God often brings difficulty in our life to get our attention and to draw us to him because otherwise we're asleep. David's prayer in 3 and 4 follows his lament in 1 and 2. Did you notice the same pattern? God himself, his enemies... God feels distant, seems to be doing nothing. So David says, consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Hear me, pay attention to me. And then he talks about himself. In verse 1 and 2, his heart was filled with sorrow. So in verse 3, he says, light up my eyes. Now, what does that mean? To light up my eyes. That means his eyes were growing dark and dim with hopelessness and despair. 
David is praying and asking God to keep him from spiraling into depression and despair, to bring hope back into his weary soul. And then in verse 4, David prays about his enemies. In verse 1 and 2, his enemies seem to be exalted over him. So in verse 4, he prays, don't allow my enemies to prevail or my foes to rejoice because I'm shaken. And, and notice in verse 3 and 4 that David's prayer has three lest statements. Did you notice that as you read this this week? Did you circle those words, lest, lest, lest? Lest sort of says this, uh, Lord, if this doesn't happen... It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for you. If you don't answer this prayer, then this is not going to be good for your glory through your king and in your people. So David gives God three reasons he should act. And all of them are based on God's glory. Did did you see that there in verse 3 and 4? Lest, number one, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Number two, lest my enemy say I've prevailed over him. Number three, lest my foes rejoice because I'm uh, shaken. David doesn't want the wicked to be emboldened by their success, nor does he want God to be disgraced by his defeat. Uppermost in David's mind is the glory of God. In him and through him. David is concerned that he doesn't despair. Light up my eyes. In verse 3 and 4, that is the primary prayer. Consider me. Answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes. Keep me filled with faith, filled with hope, so that I don't spiral into depression and despair. He doesn't want to be shaken. He doesn't want to waver in his faith. How God's king... And how God's people respond to difficulty communicates something about God, doesn't it? Mom and dad, your your kids are watching how you respond to difficulty that comes into your life. Families, your neighbors who know you're a Christian, they're watching. And God can be glorified in you and through you. You can be a light of faith and hope and the glory of God. And if difficulty causes us as God's people to despair, it communicates to everyone around us that God is unable to provide real hope and real help to real people. That's not true, is it? 
So the answer is not fake it till you make it. The answer is not put on a happy face and don't let anybody know what you really are feeling. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is number one, lament. Number two, pray. And number three, trust. Lament. Pray. And trust. Trust what? Well, that's the best part about this psalm, in my opinion. Verse 5 and 6. Psalm 13 encourages us to trust. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Note, the difficulty hasn't gone away. But David's response has changed. Notice the change. Verse 5. It's an intentional response of faith. But I... Yes, my present experience is terrible, but I. Yes, I have a sickness, a disease, financial ruin. Yes, there's relationship uh, conflict going on. Yes, work is stressful. Yes, my dog died. Yes, 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 but I. You see that in verse 5? Look at it. Circle it. It's significant. It's a response of faith that comes after lamenting, after praying. But I. Van Gemmeren says the emphatic but I is a surprising response from the heart of a depressed person. Those of you who have struggled with depression know how surprising this is. Life may be so bitter for some, it's only by God's grace that the heart of faith may groan, but I. David responds according to his faith, not his feeling. David entrusts himself to God. Psalm 13 defines the Christian life as, but I. Notice the progression in verse 5 and 6. The progression of David's response. First he trusts, then he rejoiced, then he sang. Trusting, rejoicing, singing. David began by trusting. He says, I have trusted. That's a perfect, settled position. Which results in what? Rejoicing and singing. Do you see the movement? What's the movement? That which began in his will, moved to his heart, and then out his mouth. The trust happened by the intentional response of faith, affected his heart, which rejoiced, 
and then came out his mouth as singing. And friends, the exact opposite will happen. If we settle into our negative emotions, we spiral. We settle. Our heart feels and then our mouth speaks and we spiral from difficulty to depression to despair. And notice the basis. The the basis is not David's personality or his ability to overcome or that fantastic uh, positive outlook on life. Oh, look at the basis of his response. It's rooted in God. God's love, see it? God's salvation, God's blessings to David. David did not base his trust and joy on his present experience, but on the promises of God. So there in verse 5, David trusted in God's covenant love. See that in verse 5? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. What's his present experience? It hasn't changed. According to Psalm 13, what is his present experience? God feels distant. He feels like he's been forgotten by God. This is going to last forever. And God is doing nothing about it. But David trusts in a greater reality than his present experience. He trusts in God's steadfast covenant love. The steadfast love of God is unconditional and unending, and it's based in God's covenant with David. In other words, God told David and God told Israel, I love you. You're my people, and nothing can change that. You remember uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7? This is beautiful. If you haven't heard this recently, God says to Israel, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It, It was not because you were more in number than any other people, but the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And in times of despair, David says, I will trust God's covenant love for me no matter what else is happening around me. Friends, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has brought us into a new covenant by faith. God's covenant love in Christ secures us into a new and permanent sonship. 
in Christ Jesus, Paul said, you are all sons of God by faith. I don't know what bad thing you're experiencing today. I don't know what's been going on for the past week, month, or year. And I certainly don't know what's coming up in the future. But whatever bad thing you're feeling or experiencing, you can trust God's covenant love for you. He has adopted you as his son. You're secure forever. And that changes everything. Keep reading. Verse 5. David not only trusted in God's love, but he rejoiced in God's covenant salvation. See it there in verse 5? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What's his present experience? We haven't moved out of Psalm 13. It's, it's not a different day. It's not like all of a sudden everything got peachy keen and rosy. What's his present experience? Verse 2, verse 4. The enemy is winning. They're exalted over him. They're prevailing. They're rejoicing. The enemy's winning. But David rejoices in a greater reality. What's the greater reality? God has promised salvation from every enemy. <laughs> Second Samuel 7, God made a, a number of promises to King David. And one of them was this. Feel the weight of this. Hear the good news of this. Thus says the Lord of hosts to King David. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, so that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make a, for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. By the time Psalm 13 is written, David was feeling like his enemies were winning. They're exalted. They're prevailing. But then he remembers the promise of God. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The implication, even though the enemies are presently exalting, <laughs> prevailing, rejoicing, even though they seem to be winning, they will not ultimately be victorious. David can rejoice because God promised to deliver him from all his enemies. Can you see how the promises, the good news of what God said, changes everything when you're feeling difficult situations? 
Friends, here's the good news of the gospel for me and you. Through the finished work of King Jesus, God has already saved us from our enemies. He is saving us from our enemies, and he promised that he will save us from our enemies. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, unless you believe that I'm the Savior, the one who will save you from your enemies, you're going to die in your sins. Just like David rejoiced in God's covenant salvation, we can rejoice in the salvation that God has already accomplished for us and is working out in our lives. Yeah, friends, God's already delivered us from our biggest enemies like sin and death. But he's delivering us slowly but surely from our daily enemies like stupidity and anger and vanity and materialism. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to do this sanctifying work in us. Because of the gospel, no matter what enemy seems to be winning in your life, you and I can rejoice in God's covenant salvation. He has saved us, is saving us, and will save us ultimately, no matter how today feels. Look there in verse 6. Not only did David trust the steadfast love, rejoice in God's salvation, but six, David sang because of God's covenant blessings. Situation hasn't changed. He's still experiencing whatever difficulty. What's his present experience? Verse 2. His soul is troubled. How long must I have sorrow in my heart all day long? The prayer that's coming from the deepest part of him is, is, Lord, please light up my eyes so that I don't disgrace you by my depression and despair. But David sings made the difference <laughs> he started counting his blessings as trite as that sounds look at verse six he says i'm gonna sing to the lord because he has blessed me now he's dealt bountifully with me god has given me a wealth in abundance of blessings Next time you and I start experiencing difficulty and find ourselves struggling against depression, may we count God's blessings. And the greatest blessings are not friends and family and health. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus says he came to give us life and life what? More abundantly. 
Ephesians chapter 1 says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So no matter what bad thing you and I are experiencing, as we consider the greater and more eternal reality of God's blessings given to us in Christ, those blessings will take us by the hand and lead us away from depression and despair and lead us to sing. Faith. The response of faith. Christian, what God has done for us in Christ does not remove your suffering. But it does put it into perspective. And when we lay hold of truths that are deeper and far more eternal than what we're experiencing today, the gospel will change our distress into trust, our depression into rejoicing, and our despair into singing. Now may the gospel of God's love, God's salvation, and God's blessings to each of us in Christ take us by the hand and lead us away from what comes naturally into a supernatural rejoicing that glorifies God. Amen and amen. Pray with me, would you? And I'm going to close this time with a prayer that comes from the Valley of Vision that talks about those low and difficult times in the valleys. So pray with me, please. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought us to the Valley of Vision where we live in the depths, but we see you in the heights. Let us learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the well, the brighter your stars shine. So let us find your light in our darkness your life in our death, your joy in our sorrow, your grace in our sin, your riches in our poverty, your glory in our valley. We pray this for your glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.